I got to tell you, that was awesome. Young man forgot his Bible, and he knows he needs it in class, so he went back for it. Isn't that cool? That's pretty epic right there. That is good stuff. <clears throat> man, as you guys can tell, I've had the privilege of overcoming another cold. Uh, I'm doing better, I think, and uh, hopefully I won't start coughing before we're done. <clears throat> what a great privilege it is. Uh, to be with you this morning, to get to celebrate our time with Vance, and uh, to do the baptism together. Just want you to know we've got a cake out there to celebrate that, and so as you leave, make sure you eat some of it, or it'll be left here all week, and that won't be good for anybody. So uh, join with us as we celebrate uh, Vance's baptism and the cake we have out there. Um, I'm, I'm pretty excited about the passage this morning. Uh, we're in Mark chapter 1. We're only going to get through verses 14 and 15, um, but it's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And um, he says a couple of things in here. One is repent, and the second one is to believe. And I was thinking about, um, you know, Vance's story, and as he and I have interacted this week, and he's walked through with me and talked about growing up around a Christian family and having the experience and and seeing those things, and then this this change for him, this transformation for him, where he decided to make it his own, and and that what's happened in his life, and this belief thing, and and what's what's changed for him. And I thought to myself, how how are we at believing things? How are we at believing? Uh, you know, the things that we say we believe. Uh, take for example, one of the things that I believe is that all vehicles will break down, right? Do you guys believe that? All vehicles will break down, regardless of what brand they are. doesn't matter if you're driving a Mustang or a RAV4. They will all break down at some point in time, correct? Right. So if for whatever reason, when they do break down, why do we go, ah! What causes us to panic and freak out at that moment? Well, yeah, the cost, right? <laughs> oh, dang it, now we got to pay for this. But if we really believed that everything we drove was going to break down, would we not put money away for that stuff? Now, some of you do, right? Some of you have started doing that in your life. When did that happen for you? <laughs> Most of us, that became pretty important once the first car broke down. Then we went, oh, man, this isn't all fun. In fact, in, in my life... Um, I started saving for breakdown cars after I got married because my bride's smarter than me. I was of the opinion I can fix it. It's not a big deal. And it turns out I can fix it. It's still a big deal. And so I spent a lot of time working on cars. But the reality is when we say we believe something, it changes how we live. It affects the way in which we, we then proceed in our lives. How many of you believe that your lights are going to come on in your house when you throw the switch? Okay, we know that we believe that because we don't stop and pray before we throw the switch. But do you realize that we probably should? That's electricity. You can't see it. How do you know it's there? We, believe, we are so confident, we'll even go in and throw the switch, and if it doesn't work, we do it again. It's crazy. We believe so much in electricity, you guys, that we're actually making our cars stop with electricity. I don't trust electricity that much. I don't even like it. I like the, con I like the results, but I don't like the consequences. So all of that to say, what do we believe? How do we, 
How do we believe? It matters when it comes to spiritual things. Jesus says in the, or Mark tells us in the text about Jesus, uh, his, his opening statement of his ministry. Would you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1 and read along with me in verses 14 through 15 this morning? Mark says this, <clears throat> now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, I have to be honest with you. There's a few, there's other passages. Uh, Matthew uh, makes a similar account to this. I would love for him, him to have explained the gospel, but he's going to do that in his life through the disciples. And so he set up a system where we have to go and read the passages and read the text and study and follow him. And it's, a, it's all a wonderful thing. I just wish that he would have given us a little bit more about all of the details that are right here. What's very interesting is Mark's the only one that references in this proclamation of Jesus, the time was fulfilled, which is an interesting statement. We'll look at that briefly this morning because we don't have time to get into all of the elements of prophecy that are being fulfilled here. But one of the things that, as you guys know, I'm a little bit twisted that bothered me. Did you catch what, how, he, how he waited to start his ministry till John was in prison? You know what grabbed me as I was thinking through that process? John's job is over. John the Baptist was the herald of Jesus. He lived his life faithfully. He followed and, and did everything that he was called to do. And his life ended in prison being beheaded by, by an evil king or ruler at that time in Rome or in, in Jerusalem for Rome. But he ends up he ends up fulfilling his job, and God takes him home. Now, I'll be really honest with you. There's a side of me that says, hey, wait, what happened to the happy ever after part? I mean, he did what Jesus called him to do. He was faithful. He did it the way he was supposed to, and he got out of the way. When Jesus showed up, John wasn't running around saying, no, 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 disciples, don't leave me. Stay. You got to follow me. I, my, you know, I still have a good ministry here. Let's do it together with Jesus. John didn't say that. John said, I, my ministry must decrease so that his will increase. And John willingly stepped out of the way. And yet in the sovereignty of God, somehow, Jesus Ministry officially begins after John is imprisoned. And the challenge that I think I have in my own heart and in my own life is to answer the question, am I okay with that? Are we okay with that? God being God? John having a short life? Fulfilling his ministry and then being done. I'm just going to, I know the Jesus answer. I know the right answer. Everybody nod your head. Yeah, we're okay with that. But let's just be really honest about it. I'm not okay with that. Not really. I mean, I am mentally. But if God were to ask me to live that life, if God were to ask me to be faithful, and then as soon as I finished my project, he said, okay, thanks, coming home. I don't know if I would say, yay, God. For John's departure and the way that his life ended. Now, where are we going with this? Absolutely nowhere. Because that's not the point of the text. I just wanted to not miss the fact 
that this is something that's happening. John's ministry ends. He's imprisoned, and that's when Jesus' ministry begins. And it stabs me in the heart just a little bit because there are times as we think about it, and we're going to watch happen in the Gospel of Mark. The disciples are saying, Jesus, it's all about me. And Jesus is saying, no, you guys, you've got it all wrong. It's really all about me, Jesus. And for whatever reason, because of his holiness, because of his righteousness, because of God's plan, Jesus can say that without having anything wrong in his attitude. It's all about me where you and I cannot. And that's really the point of the text today. Yes, Jesus' ministry begins officially after John is imprisoned. And then Jesus proclaims the gospel of God. And we are going to see that this whole point, everything in this points to who he is, what God's plan is, and the glorious beginning of a magnificent, magnificent story. Look in Matthew 4. I love this. Uh, Matthew shares with us the same account, um, and, and he gives us a very similar story, which, which we're going to see Matthew 4. Verse 17, just the, just the one verse this morning out of Matthew. <clears throat> Matthew 4, 17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This whole idea of repenting, John gave us the repent uh, pro- proclamation as well. Um, Vance read for us this morning the, the whole idea of being born again when Nicodemus came and was asking Jesus, what do you mean I got to be born again? What is this thing you're talking about? Baptism and being born again. I don't understand this. Jesus' message was the kingdom of God is here or at hand or is near, depending on your translation. It's interesting, in in Mark, he says that the time was fulfilled. What does that mean other than that somebody was watching it? And we see in Daniel chapter 9, if you turn with me to Daniel chapter 9, we're going to read a little bit about this timing thing. And again, don't don't panic. We're not going to do a whole study on the 70 weeks and everything that's involved with Daniel. It's okay. We we really don't have time for that this morning. But the point is, look for the, look for the pieces in this text that point to Christ. Look for what, what you would see as we read through here, the things that would point to Jesus as he shows up. And as we know his story, we're going to watch it unfold in Mark, but, but if, as we've read previously, we know some of his story. So watch for those things, and if you have a marker, maybe highlight them as we go through. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city, to finish the transgression, to put an end to to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again, with squares and moats, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. 
And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wings of abominations shall come one who makes desolation until the decree end is poured out on the desolator. One of the amazing things about that short passage in Daniel is that we see if the point of Christ or God's prophecy to restore Israel, to deal with their rebellion and restore them all the way to the end of the world as we know it. And in the midst of this, we see Jesus showing up, this prince that is to come. One of the most amazing things is that there is a time that's fulfilled. God's watching what's going on. He's paying attention. He didn't fall asleep. He didn't lose his clock. God knows what's going on, and he, he, he metered it out right to the point of where Jesus showed up. He knew exactly what the time was. He knew exactly when to bring him, and he did. Galatians 4, 1 through 7, Paul says this. Starting in verse 1, I mean that the heir as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he's the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also. When we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God set forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has set the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Uh, Ephesians uh, 1.10 says something very similar. It reminds us, as we've read, you, we actually, you guys actually went through Ephesians not too long ago. Ephesians 1.10, as, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. This concept of time, this concept of fulfilling time, God is a good father, and he's done these things on purpose. He set these things in place. He knew John the Baptist, and he, he appointed him at the right time, and as Jesus showed up, it was appointed by the right time. It was specifically fulfillment of prophecy and a purpose for the world, not just for Israel, but for all of us. <sighs> Is that good stuff? That's pretty good stuff. The fact that God, the creator of time, has managed all of this stuff, has watched it come into places, has set Jesus in a place in our time frame that, has, that was appointed by him that fulfills everything he's intended it to, to fulfill. And what is it that it has that he has intended to fulfill? The, the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of God is near. Now, what's very interesting, and I can't wait to get there. I'm trying to hold back my excitement. Because when we get there in Mark, I love how the disciples completely fall on their face over and over and over again. Every time Jesus starts to try and explain to him God's plan for his death and his return and the building up of the kingdom, and they're all fighting about who's the most important in the kingdom. Because in their mind, God is reestablishing his eternal reign as a king over Israel. He's going to restore the throne of David, and they're going to, be, they're going to reign over everybody. They're thinking, the disciples are thinking at this time, woohoo, we're going to kick Rome out, 
and Jews are going to be back on the throne. We're going to be in charge, and some king like David is going to be back, and we're going to be the best that there is. And his disciples are going, who gets to sit next to you, Jesus? Aren't we your favorite? You chose us. Can you imagine when the text was read that he prefers the weak and foolish things of the world to confound the wise? I wonder if one of them went, wait a minute. I don't know. But what was it Jesus was doing? What was it God was doing? Turn in Jeremiah to chapter 31. One of my favorite Old Testament passages. We know that in the end days of Jerusalem, there was a great deal of prophecy that was set against Israel and against the nation of Israel and their behavior and their idolatry. And in this process, Jeremiah is reminding Israel, he's actually giving them a covenant, a promise that's coming from the Lord. And it's absolutely spectacular. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law in them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Part of the kingdom, the promise of this coming kingdom, was this residency, this this kinship that we would become heirs of a living God and that Jesus through the Holy Spirit would live within us. His word would be written on our hearts. We would know him. We, he would be our God and, and we would be his people. As Jesus is describing this kingdom, as he's telling and encouraging the Israelites, he's, he says to them, the kingdom of God is at hand. You've been waiting for this. The time is fulfilled. God is acting on his promises. Now repent and believe. Repent and believe. You know the problem for most of us in, in this whole idea of repenting? And, and I'm, I'm, I guess I'm not really surprised by it, but for some reason, many people in the world have this concept that they're such horrible sinners that they can't repent because they've done too much to warrant God's forgiveness. I've actually interacted with people, and not not one person, but many people that have struggled with the concept that, well, if I repent and I do it again, is that really not real? Does that count? Um, The interesting part is, I I don't know how many of you guys love it when your kids say, man, dad, I'm sorry for my attitude. Anybody? Right? Even if you know at that moment, they don't mean it. We're just like, thank goodness the fight's over for a moment. There is something spectacular when a child says to their father, you know, Dad, I got that wrong. You're right. You're right. 
It's an amazing moment. It's, it's one of the high privileges of parenting. Unfortunately for us, some of us had to wait a long time because you were pretty stinky when you were a kid. And God made sure that you got what you deserved. At least that's what my mom told me. But the reality of it is, is that when we come to Jesus and repent, you and I aren't doing that because we're so wonderful. You and I don't come and repent and change our opinion about an issue of sin or change our thinking about something because we are somehow so spectacular that we've discovered something in Scripture and went, wow, I'm brilliant, I should do this. We come to repentance because of who God is. Because of what he promises. Look at what he says in 1 John. And we know this. I, I won't read all, all of the, the f- passage here because we don't need the whole context. But 1 John 1 9 reminds us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our job, Jesus, what he was encouraging the listeners of the gospel to do is to say, God, you're right and I'm wrong. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to change my view. I'm going to change my actions today. I'm not going to do this anymore. I like to say it this way, and you don't have to use this. Um, If it sticks and, and you like it, that's fine. Obey today. Do it now. But obey today. The reality is I can't deal with what I'm going to do tomorrow yet. God knows. He dealt with it. I got to do I got to deal with me now. So I obey today. Right now. I know that I shouldn't be doing this. I'm going to turn around and go the other direction. God, I know you want me over here. I'm going to go do that today. Obey today. When we think about repenting and we struggle to do it. I fear that one of the things that we're telling God is that you're just not big enough to deal with a personality as big as mine. And we should be very careful of that. If the God of this Bible is real, then he knew about yours and my sin long before we were in existence. And when the time was fulfilled, he sent his son to pay the price for you and for me. The final thing that Jesus encourages us in his, tes- in his gospel today is to believe Turn with me to Romans 10. Verses 9 through 17. Starting in verse 9 of Romans 10. And the first part of, of 10 here, he's, he's talking about <clears throat> living under the under Moses' law and, and, and how that applies uh, to the believers and in, in, in those things. So feel free to, I always want to encourage you to go back and read the whole context. Don't, don't just jump into wherever we cut in. Go read the whole thing so you get, it, get the whole context. But for this morning, follow with me in verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. 
For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You know, I, I think when we, <clears throat> we talk about belief and we talk about what it means for you and for me to, to, to believe, to act on those beliefs. I, I, I love the illustration. Um, one of my pastor friends uh, shared this a while back, and he has diabetes. And uh, he said, if I really believed what the doctor said, if I really believed that this was a significant issue in my life, I wouldn't sneak my Dr. Peppers and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't break the, the, the diet that I'm told. But my, my activity of belief is a little limited in that because I really don't believe that it's that bad or I would change. When we think about what it means to believe in God, I am convinced that uh, as a child, it's easier for us to believe stuff. Have you guys noticed that? Anybody notice that? As a young kid, you believe lots of things, right? Which is a little dangerous. You can be, you can be sold a bill of goods, right? I mean, who knew that the Easter Bunny... Really? That's a horrible one. I actually, I think it was the tooth fairy that was the most devastating to me. I, I was suspicious. Of, anyway, I'm joking. That was, <laughs> I was counted up. Man, I'm not, I'm not going to make it very far. But the reality is, as young people, it's easier for us to believe. I think partly because we haven't experienced enough life yet. For whatever reason, as you and I experience life together and we run into other people and we run into hardships, we come to the reality that this place is a little, well, in the King James, it sucketh. It's just flat hard on, it's dangerous. You'll get hurt. We will make mistakes. Things will go bad. Even when we're doing the best that we can, things are going to be that we're going to run into difficult things and hardships. And it causes us to become very careful and calloused and calculated and at times almost cocooned into a space where it's even hard for the gospel to reach. Brothers and sisters, I believe we live in communities filled with people that are doing everything they can to protect themselves from being affected or harmed by anybody else ever again. And in that posture, in that place, they are safe even from the penetrating arm of the gospel in their own minds. And, and that's what they want is they just want that space to not be heard anymore. And you and I have experienced it. We have the blessing of going to church together. Anybody been hurt in church? Absolutely. Why? Because we're all a bunch of messed up people. We're all real people trying to do real life with a real God. And it means we make mistakes and we do things that are dumb and we hurt one another. But the joy is that we get to exercise the truth of the gospel. 
We get to follow in Jesus' footprints and live out that truth and come and say, man, I screwed up. But how's our neighborhood to hear? How does the gospel go out? If it's not testimonies like Vance's, if it's not testimonies like yours, how are they to hear? Jesus says to the people in his day, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. Brothers and sisters, we are living in the kingdom of God. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we've been called to be lights to our community. We're going to get to watch Jesus do this over the next few months as we go through Mark. We're going to watch his life. We're going to get opportunity to be challenged and encouraged in how we live, how we speak, how we love, how we forgive how we make mistakes, and all of it points back to Christ. When he says that the kingdom of God is near, he is introducing himself because God's plan for you and for me was out of Jeremiah 31, that he would make a nation of people that were his. Are you his today? Have you followed Vance's example? his testimony today and and made that decision to walk with Christ, to surrender your life. If you have, it's, that's a great thing. Then he wants you to tell him, tell people about it. Some introverts are going, don't tell me that. Just leave me alone. It's good stuff. Would you join me? as we pray this morning and ask God to open our hearts to what he has for each of us. For every one of us, it's different. I don't know what God's called you to do. I know what he's called me to do. Some days I'm doing it. Some days I'm sitting at home going, I don't want to do it. Because that's costly. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Father, thank you. Lord, for your love and your grace. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, if there is anyone here this morning that does not know you as their personal Savior, I pray, Father, that you would, as you did, Vance, this, the, over the last few months, uh, Lord, that you would just uh, overwhelm their heart with their need to know you, to seek for you, to search for you. Lord, if they're here this morning and they're, they're already there, that they would come and grab me or... or somebody that they know here and just ask them what it means, go and grab Vance and ask Vance what it means to follow you. Lord, that we would become a light to our community, that we would reflect the truth of your gospel. God, that we would be a church that is not known for our humanness and our failures and the way that we mistreat one another, but we'd be known for your love, for your grace, and for being people that are true and honest, that have problems and weaknesses, but have found hope and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the one true Messiah, Savior and Lord of all. Thank you.